First we understand through the theory, and then we contemplate the theory, and then we put it into practice. And it's very important that this is realized in practice. Theory is one thing that helps us to understand, but it's not going to help us resolve our problems. It's not going to help us resolve these afflictive emotions. It's very important that we train our mind, and in training our mind that we're able to, through this training, tackle these judgments, these discriminatory thoughts, all of these afflictive emotions, all our ignorance, our pride, our jealousy, our anger, and our attachments. It's so important that these teachings are absorbed into our mind stream. If we don't do this, then there's no great value in just understanding the Dharma. In fact, it can help that cause pride to arise in ourselves, which will just be the source of our future suffering. And also when we have pride, we think we know how to do it, but in reality we can't. So we think we don't have to practice. And the end result is that we don't attain liberation because we don't practice, because we don't resolve these afflictive emotions. Just like one of the students of Buddha, Devadatta, he was very, very clever. At the end of the day, he always thought, well, I know as much as Buddha. I can debate as well as Buddha. But the practices never entered into his mind stream. And uh, as a result, and he was also proud about what he knew, the end result was he continued revolving around in the suffering of samsara. And for him there, you also see that although he was around Buddha and he had the opportunity to practice and really be able to attain liberation, but he didn't take the chance because his mind was clouded by his pride. And we, this can happen to us as well. We can be around really great teachers, but if we don't practice, then are those practices going to enter into our mind stream? And then are we going to be able to attain that result of attaining liberation? If we do let it enter into our mind stream, then it becomes more and more natural. The practices become more and more natural, more easy, and we become more and more free. It's like learning a language. In the beginning, it feels very uncomfortable. We're not certain what to do. We feel a little bit clumsy. We don't really know what we're saying, how to say it, what other people are saying. But then after a year or two, suddenly we're walking down the road and we hear some people talking and we think, my goodness, which language were they speaking? I think I understood. I can't remember. Is it my native language or the language I was learning? And soon this language becomes natural without even thinking about it. We listen, we can understand what other people are saying, and very easily we're able to express ourselves. In the same way with the practices as well. In the beginning it might feel a little bit uncomfortable, we won't really understand, but after a while it does, it becomes more and more natural, a lot more easy. And it does take time, it needs time for the practices to be absorbed into our mind stream. And we 
will likely face different hardships. The important thing is, is to enthusiastically continue and overcome these hardships. The important thing as well is that we are able to apply these practices, apply it into our daily life, not just when we are sitting in meditation. This is where we really see how well our practice is going. And if we want to know how well our practice is going, have a look and see how quickly you're able to transform these arising emotions, these afflictive emotions as they arrive, how quickly you can see them, and also how much your love, your kindness, your compassion is increasing in daily life. As the great Saint Milarepa said, what is the point of talking about food to those who are starving? Those people that are starving, they need something to eat. They don't just need to talk about the food. Likewise, what is the point of having all the theory without being able to put it into practice? We have this precious human life. We have these precious teachings. So don't waste time. Don't get distracted. Really apply yourself to the practices. And also realize that we're going to fail. As much as I wish that everybody doesn't fail, the reality is we're going to fail. We're going to fail again and again. That's okay. The important thing is not how many times we fail. The important thing is how many times we get up again and we go again. There was one South African rugby player and he, he was playing for the Springboks and in one of the tests his leg got broken and then he was out of the game for a while he came back was playing well again and his leg got broken again and he came back and he played again and what he said was he said what's important is not how many times I fall down, how many times I get up is what is important. We may feel that our practice is going well, but then we get caught up in our afflictive emotions again, or we lose our awareness, we do our best to say we'll never ever do this again, but then a month later we do it again. So often we're going to fail. Keep on failing. It's okay. Eventually you'll get better and better at succeeding, better and better at being able to resolve and transform these afflictive emotions and to increase our awareness. Buddha was really, really compassionate, really, really kind. And as kind as he was, as compassionate as he was, he couldn't take our karma away from us. He couldn't remove all our afflictions for us. As he said, he said, I give you the teachings and I give you the methods, but the attaining of liberation and the applying of these practices and these teachings is for you to do for yourself. I can't do it for you. I'm sure in his compassion and his love and his kindness, if he was able to take away all our suffering, he would have done it and we would have all already been free from all our hardships, all our sufferings. 
many teachers recommend that once you've found the lineage that you're interested in and the teacher that you think that is um, appropriate to you, then try and stay with them as best as you can. Of course, that's enlightened teacher. It is fine to change lineages. Just sometimes what happens is some people have the habit of changing lineages. They like one lineage or they like one teacher. And after a while, something happens and then they want to go to the next teacher. And then they go to the next teacher and they think, oh, this teacher is much better than the previous one. And this is the perfect teacher. But then after a little while, after a while, then they think, no, this teacher is not good enough. Then they go to another one. And so they don't actually settle down with one teacher. They actually have the habit of changing teachers. And sometimes this stops them from really getting to have a good relationship between themselves and the teacher and also to really go deep into the practices. So just observe this. If you find that you are changing lineages and you are changing teachers once or twice, but if it's starting to happen more, just check that it's really the problem with the teachers and it's not a problem with yourself, that you are the one that has the problem, the habit of changing. And also having a few teachers sometimes sounds very nice. What this sometimes brings is the problem that we are, have our discriminatory mind. And then either one is that we leave the one and we go to the other and we slander the first one. There's no need. Maybe the first one really helped us so that we could go to the next level, so we could go to a better teacher. So why slander them? The other is, is sometimes, oh, I don't know if I should go to this teacher or that teacher. This teacher gave me this practice and that teacher gave me that practice. And now I don't know which one to practice, or should I practice this one, or should I practice that one? And so we discriminate, and then we don't practice anything really properly, or really go really into depth into one practice. What we're actually practicing is discrimination. Maybe an example that helps us to understand this is, for instance, if you maybe think it's fun to have four or five boyfriends or four or five girlfriends might be a very exciting and very thrilling and keep you on your toes and you think it's a lot of fun. Then one day the time comes that two or three of them want to go to the same place at the same time. Then you have a problem. And then you stressed out. How am I going to handle this? How do I <laughs> manage all of these girlfriends or all of these boyfriends wanting to go to the same place. Then it becomes a source of problems to us. And maybe at the end of the day, we don't have any deep and meaning, meaningful relationship with any of them. Even at the end of the day, we might find ourselves without a single boyfriend or a single girlfriend. And there are the different vehicles. There's the Hinayana the Mahayana, and the great perfection. And the difference between them really is just the speed in which we may attain enlightenment. All of them are still the teachings of Buddha. For instance, we may choose to go to Paris, and we can go to Paris maybe by plane, 
another is by train, another is by car. All of them are going to get us there. Just the speed in which we get there is going to be different. And for some people, Hinayana is more, more suitable. For some people, Mahayana is more suitable. For other people, the Vajrayana is more suitable. And there's many different methods in the great perfection. Important is whichever lineage we're following, that we follow according to the step-by-step -step practices and practice according to our own abilities and gradually we will improve. And in this way, we will eventually get to the destination. And our abilities and our merits, our kindness, our compassion, our wisdom will increase. Our mind will become more vast, more open, more agile. Our attention, our awareness will become a lot more acute. Our afflictions will become weaker and weaker. And we'll notice them much quicker. And as they give the example is that they will then be resolved as easily as it is when snowflakes fall onto warm ground. As they arise or as the snowflakes fall, they'll melt and disappear. So as those afflictive emotions arise, they will be we immediately, very quickly, we will be able to see them arising and we'll have the ability to try to, to liberate them very quickly. And then everything becomes like the island where everything is made of gold. We're all afflictions are just the moment-by-moment moment manifestations of our own mind. Like the great yogis whose minds are free of the perception of hope and fear, everything to them is pure, just like the gold island that we mentioned. Even the dust is pure gold, so everything is pure. They are abiding in the true nature of mind. And this is free of afflictions. If any affliction arises, automatically it is liberated. Right there and then. As in the moment that it arises, it is liberated. They perceive all outer phenomena as the pure land. And their mind is very, very vast. And they have the realization that everything is illusory. Everything is dreamlike. And everything that is happening in samsara is just like children's games. Just like an old person watches children playing their games to the children. The games are very real. But to the older person, he knows that they are just games. And let's dedicate the merits. By this good, may all obtain omniscience having defeated the enemies of wrongdoings in the turbulent waves of birth, old age, sickness and death, may all be liberated from the ocean of the suffering of samsara. Sonam daye tamcha tsapanye tobnye nyepe tranam khachetyak keka nachet balam trupai tsipi tsoli troa troa shol